0: Hey everybody, Bert here. As you can tell, I'm up in the mountains. Uh, We do not have a Sunday gathering this week, but we still wanted to put a bit of a bow on the series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. Uh, We started our year January off in the book of John chapter 15, looking at the art Uh, of the abiding life. We've been calling this series Christian Mystics because uh, honestly one of the reasons we called it that is because abiding with Jesus sometimes seems really mystical and thus to us a bit out of reach. And we wanted to demystify some of what it means to abide with Jesus. And so here's the journey we've been on so far. Part one we talked about the theology of the abiding life, so particularly this ancient doctrine of union with Christ. What does it mean that we are in Christ and Christ is in us as the default foundational theological context for John chapter 15? And then week two, we talked about the very real enemies and obstacles of the abiding life. And so what was that? That was the devil, the world, the flesh, all these things conspiring to keep us from becoming more like Jesus and abiding with him. And then last week, part three, we talked really practical around the practices of a rule of life. What does it look like to cultivate and design a life where we actually have space to abide with Jesus, where we actually have a bit of discipline to abide with Jesus? And so where we landed is we landed talking about our our rule of life. So we revisited our community rule of life, how we as a community are following Jesus together in this time, in this place, but also gave you some tools and tips and best practices for cultivating your own rule of life. This week, we are kind of ending this uh, little short series in John chapter 15, which is simply the fruit of the abiding life. Now Jesus talks a lot about fruit in John chapter 15, and so uh, if there's any confusion, we could just think, what are the outcomes of the abiding life? Like, what what could our life look like if we actually committed? To walking in this journey. So a couple of book recommendations for today. There's actually two if you want to engage with them. Uh, One is Life Without Lack. It's Dallas Willard's kind of old teaching around living in the fullness of the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23. It is beautiful, and it is so helpful in our understanding of what it means to abide with Jesus. But the second book is by a British theologian, Christopher Wright, um, and it is called Cultivating the Fruit. Of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is one of those outcomes of our life of abiding with Jesus. And so he writes this book, Cultivating the Fruit of the Spirit, which is absolutely fantastic. So check out those two books if you want to dive a little bit deeper as we're talking around fruit and like outcomes of the abiding life with Jesus. But I have a question to start us. Um, Even before I, I open the text and we read John chapter 15, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for your life? Last week, we, we asked the question, who are you becoming? Which is like if you were to just play out your life and not change a thing in 20 years, who are the man, who's the man or woman that you are becoming? Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? Is it pointing you to Christ or away from Christ? All of that was last week. But I want to ask you, do you have a vision for your life? And what I mean by that is is so often we wake up and live day by day, week by week, paycheck by paycheck, and we, we don't actually have like a, a far-reaching vision for what our life could and should be in Christ. And so I want you to think about that question as I read John chapter 15 for the last time. We're going to go 1 through 17, and even just as a note, if you're able to read with me, go ahead and turn there. But just as a note, the reason we've been adding... Uh, the last couple of verses, so obviously our, our prime te- teaching text ends around verse 11, but the reason we added 12 through 17 that we would be reading each and every week is because we get a little bit of that fruit, that outcome here at the very end. So read with me starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the fine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. so that whatever you ask in the Father, ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Do you have a vision for your life? And does that vision include the outcomes or produce of the abiding life? If we try to discern fruit and outcomes, John 15 is actually full of them. It's not just talking about what we should do. It's talking about the results of all that doing and all of that being. In verses 1 through 17, did you notice uh, how many like so that phrases are in there? And really, if we're sticking to John 15, talking about the fruit of the abiding life, the outcomes of the abiding life, there are really kind of three main ones that jump out And follow me. Maybe you caught these as we were reading along. But the first is really simply that you would bear fruit. Part of your bearing fruit is that you would bear fruit. Now, this is where maybe using fruit is a little bit unhelpful. So part of the outcome of abiding with Jesus is that you would bear fruit. Jesus says in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is, or she it is, that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus makes this bold declaration that whoever abides in him and Jesus is in that person. So if we're in Christ and Christ is in us, right, union with Christ, that person bears much fruit. But how do we know what fruit is? That can sound a little generic, right? How do we know what fruit is or even what does fruitfulness in life look like? Well, I'm glad you asked because we do have a few of these pictures in Scripture. And the first one is just kind of this generic kingdom of God fulfillment, like partnering with God as he's bringing his kingdom here to earth. And as we partner with him, we get to fulfill what it looks like to help bring his kingdom from heaven to earth. And this comes from a lot of the parables and the way Jesus uh, generally taught, right? So often he talked about how we can partner with him and bringing the kingdom of God here to earth. And one of the key pictures of the kingdom fruitfulness is this parable of soils. It's actually a a parable I taught at uh, Ventura Missionaries Middle School Chapel uh, just last week, and unpacking these kind of four soils, and out of those four soils, only one ends up producing and being fruitful. And he completes the saying like this in Matthew 13, verse 23. He completes his teaching, and he says, as for what was sown on good soil, as opposed to the rocky one, or the one with the bird snatches away, or the cares of the world choke it out, the good soil here, This is the one who hears the word and understands it, understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold and another 60 and another 30. And the point of Jesus ending the story like that is, is the one out of four soils that is actually producing fruit, not just produces fruit, but produces exponentially more fruit than what was expected. And it even produces more fruit than if all four soils were producing normally. This one, 25% of the soils, is producing an exponential amount of fruit. But part of our fruitfulness uh, and being with Christ is also sanctification. So in Romans 6, uh, verse 20 through 22, Paul writes this, When you were slaves of sin, you were free. In regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you're getting at at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now you have been set free from sin, and you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. Romans is so beefy, and if you got lost in some of that, don't worry. We're actually going to be teaching through Romans a little bit later this year. But look at the end of that, verse 22. But you've now been set free from sin and become slaves of God. So we're talking about our identity and status. The fruit you get, Paul says, leads to sanctification, which means growing in maturity, growing in holiness, growing to become more like Jesus, and eternal life. This gift of God or the fruit of abiding is is the way of sanctification. Part of the, the fruitfulness in our life is actually becoming more like Jesus. This is being made holy, being made more set apart for God. And another picture we get is is successful apostolic labor. As we see from Paul in Philippians 1.22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Paul is saying that part of the fruitfulness of the kingdom of God means actually the advance of the kingdom of God in the form of missionaries, in the form of church planting, in the form of Paul's apostolic work of spreading the gospel and planting churches. And so we also have this picture of gospel expansion in Colossians 1, 6. It goes like this, Paul writes, "...which has come to you as indeed the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing." bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Now I cut off the middle of a sentence so there's some before and there's some that goes after that but notice what Paul is saying. The gospel that has come to you is bearing fruit and it is increasing. It's come to you and it's going to the world. And finally another picture of fruitfulness we see in scripture is worship. Hebrews 13, 15, so through him, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God, the writer of Hebrews says, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now, there's so many more. That is just a snapshot of what we get. But if you are reading particularly the New Testament with this lens of what does fruitfulness and light of abiding with Christ look like, you see it everywhere. You see it in all Paul's letters. You see it in all John's letters, all Peter's letters, James's letter. You see it everywhere. It is all there. And you start to realize as you look at these passages that, that even though Scripture uses fruit in different ways, it's, they're essentially talking about the same thing, which is the, the produce of God's presence in your life, the fruit, the outcome of you being in Christ and Christ being in you, which is exactly Jesus's point in John chapter 15. When you're connected to the vine, the vine is fueling your life and fruit is the natural outcome. You worship, you preach the gospel, your character is formed, so on and so on. And the activity of the kingdom of God comes pouring out of you. So often we look at things like sanctification and worship and we want them desperately, but they actually feel so far away. But Jesus has, has made them extremely close. And, and maybe we've been going about them some of the wrong way. And Jesus simply invites us to come near to him as he's already come near to us. And he says, when you do that, your life will bear fruit. Life with Jesus is the point. And one of the key outcomes is fruitfulness of God's presence. I I sometimes worry we've overcomplicated worship, sanctification, spreading the gospel. And and I don't want to oversimplify it. I don't want that pendulum to swing too far the other way. But what I see Jesus getting at is he's saying, hey, don't go run off and try to do all these things, but come to me. Let me fill you up. Be in me as I am in you. And as we are connected, don't worry. Your life will be fruitful. So that's one of the sort of outcomes, the fruit of the abiding life. There's two more in John chapter 15. And I don't know if you've caught this one, but he said, so that your joy would be made full. That is the second outcome we see in John chapter 15. He says in John 15, 11, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus says, my joy would be in you and that your joy may be full. The next outcome of the abiding life is, one that actually honestly seems a little elusive for believers sometimes is joy. What is even joy? Because I think sometimes we misdefine joy. I love the Bible Project's definition of joy as this. Christian joy is defined like this by the Bible Project. quote: A profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and love. Now, I just want to draw your attention to one word that was not in that definition. Happiness. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Look over at first Peter chapter one, verses eight and nine. Peter says, though you have seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter's saying, you haven't even seen Jesus and you, and you love him. You have this deep-seated, rooted joy. If you've encountered Jesus, you have this inexpressible joy in Him. The gospel-centered life knows how to look to our Savior, Jesus, as a reservoir for joy in our lives, because we know happiness is fleeting and based on circumstance. But somehow, Christians are often some of the grumpiest people in the world, right? Maybe you've encountered some of these. Maybe you've been one of those people. I know I have at times. But there should be inexpressible joy because we've encountered Jesus, the Savior of the universe, who knows you and loves you and invites you in. And there are times to to lament. Yes, there are times to mourn, to, to grieve, to be sad, angry, frustrated. All of those things we see in Scripture. This isn't a call for fakeness by any means, so don't take it there. But what Peter is getting at here is he says there's a joy that surpasses all those things that surpasses simple happiness that rides on circumstance, that actually fundamentally changes how you live and how you see the world around you. This idea of biblical joy it is based on like a different metric. It's not based on your metric of personal experience or the circumstances around you, though, though it is a bit of an experience. It's one that we choose to receive as a bit of an identity or a posture rather than just a pure reaction to circumstances around us. So in a sense, joy is like this lens that we live life through, which we experience the world and all of its events. So joy does not always mean happiness. It's actually something we receive and it's a decision you make. You pre-decide to be joyful before anything good or anything bad can even happen to you. That's what joy is. When we're abiding in Jesus and Jesus in us, our whole perspective is changed. And we actually have the option to choose Joy in all circumstances. Joy is one of those things that's kind of elusive if we're trying to create it on its own, or we hope that circumstances will give it to us. But what Jesus says is not elusive for the abiding life. If you abide with me, Jesus says, this will be a fruit of your life. That not only our joy would be full, but Jesus's joy would be in us. There's one more fruit of the abiding life. It's that we would be fruitful, that we would actually produce like kingdom fruit. It's that our joy would be full, and that it's that we would love one another. This last one from John 15 is such an amazing thing. Part of the the fruitfulness, part of the outcome of the abiding life is actually a deep love for one another. We are in the love of the Father. The love of Christ is in us. And when we abide in Jesus, his love fills our whole world and being and overflows onto others. Two verses in John 15. First, verse nine, as the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you, abide in that love. So Jesus invites us into the loving relationship between he and the Father. And in the verse 12, this is my commandment, right? He's not messing around with this one. No subtlety here. There's no implied so that it's, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, which is this self-sacrificial kind of love. Jesus says, this is my commandment, love one another. Jesus uses the love that he has for us as a basis for how and why we should love one another. The the love that we need to have for others is fully available because of our connection to the vine. And I'd even go so far to say you can't truly love others the way Christ has loved you unless you're connected to the vine because eventually that reservoir of love will run out. Now, John, picking up on some of this as he's writing letters later on in his life, says this in 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Meaning, true love comes out of this relationship with God. But then he goes on a a few verses later, verses 20 and 21, and he says this, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother, which means if you're harboring hatred and you do not love your brother or sister, John says it is impossible for you to love God because our love of God must spill out on love for others. John says if you don't love people, you don't love God. That is incredibly harsh, but it's, it's harsh because it's also hard to love people, right? Because sometimes people suck. myself included. Sometimes we are hard to love and sometimes it is hard to love others. But what really helps us with this problem is realize that that we are people too. Like as much as it's hard to love that other person, you have to remember how hard it is to love you. How hard is it for other people to love you? We're all people. We all have parts of us that make it hard for others to love. I'm just as bad as everybody else. You're just as bad as everyone else. We are just as bad as the people we hate or we think are our enemies. Religion creates this niceness that that never gives us an opportunity to actually love people. But the gospel of Jesus creates love because it enters into differentness and conflict and and all these relationships that need to be reconciled. A love that's truly gracious. Seeing people not as projects or problems, but as people to be loved and people who are made in the image of the God of the universe. God's love for all people should kill our own self-righteousness. God's love isn't based on your rightness or my rightness. Your works are my works. Your actions are my works. God's people are lovers of people because we cannot separate our love from God from our love for people. And our love from God often gets expressed in our love for others. And Peter, as he's starting to wind down his letter in chapter 4, verse 8, says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly as love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. These are some of the outcomes. There's so many more. As you're reading through scripture, I'm sure you'll come across more, but these are the big ones sprouting out from John 15, this abiding life, some of the produce, some of the fruit of the abiding life. But if you're anything like me, here's what you might try to do today or tomorrow. You're just gonna go out there and try to love harder. You're just gonna grit your teeth, and you're going to be freaking joyful no matter what. Or just, or just like squeeze hard enough and maybe some fruit will come out. And if maybe that's just me. I'm preaching to myself. That's okay. But if that's you, take a breath. Rest from all your trying. Because here's the truth. This orange tree in my backyard, it's not stressing about producing oranges. It just produces them. It's what it's made to do. I don't wake up in the morning to find my orange tree ridden with anxiety, wondering when the next orange is going to come. It just does, in season and out of season. The fruit comes. It just does. Why? Because fruit comes from the branches. Branches are connected to the tree. The tree goes into the ground. It's rooted. It's getting water. It's getting nutrients. It's getting soil. And this is just what a tree does when everything's working properly. When everything's working properly with my orange tree, it's producing fruit. Now, if it's lacking water, if the soil is unhealthy, if there's some unhealth in the branches, that's a whole different thing. But when things are working properly, it's just going to produce fruit, which reminds me of something Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about unity. He's talking about how we interact with one another. And uh, he gives this instruction. He says, um, rather than being children tossed to and fro um, and not really being rooted or founded in Christ, he's said, like, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him, who's the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body, that's us, joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, one of those phrases, I don't know if you're, anything like me, but I kind of have bypassed before, is that little clause, when each part is working properly, then the body grows and it builds itself up in love. And just like my orange tree, when everything is working properly, when it's getting enough sunshine and water and the roots are healthy and the branches are healthy and it's not overgrown, it will produce fruit. And what I hope for in in a short teaching like this, as we wrap up, our Christian mystic series in John chapter 15 is not that you'd skip everything and just try to muscle some fruit out, right? Because that's not how fruit works. Fruit is a natural outcome. But you'd actually have a vision for your life that is connected to Christ. A vision for your life that understands that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. A vision for your life that that understands and sees and and are sober-minded and clear-headed about the very real obstacles and enemies to your abiding life. A a vision for your life that has concrete practices in place to make space for your abiding with Jesus. And a vision for your life where you can see yourself becoming the kind of person for whom fruit is the natural outcome because you're connected to Jesus, the vine. That's what I hope, It's what I pray, and as we just kind of look back on the last four weeks of our time in John chapter 15, thinking about this robust theology, these enemies and obstacles, the practices, and now the fruit and the outcomes of the abiding life. I hope you are deeply convinced, like in your soul, that apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. So I want to pray for you and and I can't wait to be back together next week. We're going to start into a new adventure together. Um, but I hope this time in John chapter 15 has been, no pun intended, fruitful for you. So pray with me if you're able. Jesus, we, um, we thank you uh, for the invitation you give us into your family, into this new life. And we thank you uh, that you tell us, apart from me, you can do nothing And that's not like a negative. That's actually an incredible positive. Because you say, if we are connected to you, we can ask the Father anything in your name. And so Jesus, as we consider our own vision for our life, the fruit, the outcomes, the produce of our life connected with you, I ask that you'd give us actually like a robust vision for our life connected with you. That you'd maybe sweep away some of the distractions or some of the vision of life that our world will try to give to us. And I pray that you would give us a vision for our life and help us like actually even visualize and picture what it means to be fruitful because we are connected to you. So I pray blessing and I pray maturity. I pray sanctification. And I do ask for your Holy Spirit to help walk us through this life of abiding with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining me up here in the mountains. I cannot wait to see you again. But until then, have a great day.